Amen. Guys, would you grab a Bible? Uh, Tonight we continue just working through the Bible together. We're in Luke chapter 9. We've been making our way through the Bible almost a chapter a week, but obviously Luke's got long chapters, so we're doing half chapters right now in some of them. And so tonight we're going to finish up Luke 9 that we started last week. Hopefully you got a Bible and you're joining us in that. Hopefully right now you're you're making your way there, whether it's physically or an electronic device, that would be great, longing that you would be a part of that. Again, just speaking to you guys who are joining us online, uh, that you're connecting with us, so glad you're there, but fully connect. Grab a Bible, open it up so that you're hearing and seeing, and that God would take His truth and make it so just relevant and, and just work it into your life, the things that He's wanting to speak to you even tonight. So we have our Bibles open. Let's take a moment to pray for it. As we do each time, just asking God would help us to hear, that He would give us ears to hear what He has for us, and that He would speak to you, and He would speak to me. So would you join me in that? Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, that it's alive, that it's powerful. What hope there is in that? I think of just reading uh, this last week in Peter where you tell us everything, Everything we need for life and godliness, you've given us in your truth, in the relationship that we have with you in Christ and through your truth. So with that, we just step towards that, and I think, Lord, how full that is, how capable that is of of helping us right right where we are in all the situations that we find ourselves in. Well, we're in different spaces tonight. There's no way that I could take your truth and specifically apply it to each person in a way that would make it be everything they need for life and godliness. But you can do that. You can do that, and we're asking for you to do that. We're asking that you would take your truth and just penetrate our hearts with it, help us to see it, help us to understand it. And just impact us right where we are and right what we need. Give us each one what we need from you in your word tonight. Help, Lord. We pray for that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Bible tells us that we're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. If you're a believer tonight, I want to remind you of that and just tell you what incredible hope there is. If you were with us on Sunday, we talked a little bit about this, and we talked about Daniel and a little bit of this idea of, here am I, send me. I mean, here am I, I, I want to be a part of what you have for me. And I think about how good this is, that we're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them that He's literally giving us setups. He's literally creating spaces for our lives, each and every one of us, to make a difference. Now, I want you to know that so that you're not on the outside of that. You're not in the sense of saying, hey, that doesn't work for me or apply. It's meant to. It's meant to. God has a, a plan for your life, if you're a believer, to be a part of that. And if you're outside of this in Christ, He longs to draw you to that so that your life could be a part of the things that God has for you. Well, within that, I want to just draw you to this idea that not only is he giving us things and preparing things, but he tells us that we're his workmanship. It's this really great phrase that just tells us that God has taken you on as a personal project, that we are that which he's seeking to mold and shape to prepare us for those things that he has for us. Now, that's a fun reality. And it's a great reality that's much bigger than we're going to talk about tonight, that God is actually shaping you. He's actually shaping who you are 
to, to prepare you for the things he has for you. Lots of ways he does that. But one of the ways he does that is by his truth, by communicating to us the things that would help us be a part of that. That's where I want you to think about tonight, because we're right here in Luke 9, and it's this amazing section, and we find ourselves in chapter 9, moving towards chapter 10, and we're in a section where Jesus is sending out his disciples. Chapter 9 begins with him sending the 12 into the cities around him. Chapter 10, where we are next week, is going to begin with him sending the 70 out. And it is this section of serving Jesus, of figuring out how that works and walking in that. And so tonight, we're going to kind of enter into this section. We're going to talk about seven things that he's going to give us in this section that are about that. But if you were with us last week, we talked about it as well. In fact, last week, we talked about eight things. Uh, We talked about eight things that are in this chapter that helped us understand it. And again, if you can kind of put it together, in other words, there's at least 15 realities found here in chapter 9 that really, in all of it, is this ability to say, hey, if you want to come and, and be a part of what I'm doing, then these are the things that you need. These are the things that Jesus is molding into our lives to help us step into that. Now, I recognize not everybody was a part of it last week, but as a quick reminder, can I just remind you of the eight things we saw last week? We looked there at the first part of the chapters, and we, and we just began by noting that to be a part of God's work means we have to follow His leading, to, to allow Him to lead our lives into what He has for us. To know that where, we, where He leads us, He's going to provide. To know that he, as He guides us in that, to stay there, to, the grass is not greener on the other side. When we fail, and failures happen both for us and for on the other side of people being resistant, shake it off. We talked about seizing opportunities that He brings before us, and then one of my favorite, just the ability of recognizing that He uses us in our weakness, that He's sufficient to work in our insufficiency. And then we saw that it's all about Jesus, that place where Jesus took the disciples aside and asked them, who do people say that I am, and drew them to this confession of saying, we know who you are. Now, I draw you to all of that to see that, but I want you to specifically feel this last section. Yeah, we ended this section where Jesus was calling his disciples to this, and he tells them about the cross, he tells them about him going to the cross, and then in verse 23, he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We talked about the reality of that last week. No time to entirely unpack that, but I just want to tell you that's a sober reality. That's a a heavy moment where he says, this is going to be hard. I mean, taking up a cross is not, you know, taking up a piece of jewelry. It's, It's talking about a life that says, I'll follow Jesus into a world that resisted Christ and will resist me. I'll follow him in a way of denying myself and saying yes to him. That's kind of a sober reality, and yet it's a needed one if we're going to serve Him. I mean, it's one of the things He calls us to be a part of that, that it must be a part of that. If anybody wants to follow Him, it would be there. Well, that's helpful because as we move from that, it directly leads to this next moment. Into that sober reality, Jesus speaks this incredible place of hope. You might just notice it there in verse 27 at the end of that section. He says, but... I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. In other words, there's a a connection here. Right off of this place of, hey, this is going to be hard, like living this thing out, it's taking up your cross daily, but I also want to tell you that some of you are going to taste of the kingdom of God. You're going to see it. And Jesus begins to talk to him about this mountaintop moment, this thing that we know as the transfiguration. You might just notice it there in verse 28. It says, now it came to pass... 
about eight days after these sayings, they took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, his appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. This is, again, that which we know of as the transfiguration. It is this reminder of this incredible mountaintop moment. Now, there's a bunch of things in this reality that has depth much beyond what we're going to be able to talk about tonight. Again, we're trying to fly over half a chapter, so there's just a whole lot here. But Jesus is literally transfigured before them. It has this idea that he's been living his earthly life in kind of a veiled appearance where he just appeared as a man. But in this moment, they see him. They see him not just in his humanity, but in his glory. They see him, and I love how it says it there, that his very face was altered, his robe became white and glistening. I mean, it's this amazing, glorious moment. Now, a bunch of stuff happening. We'll read through a little bit of it. But again, just wanting to kind of feel that, that it is this mountaintop moment. So let's notice. Just reading again for context, verse 29. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Wow. I mean, again, just kind of trying to walk around this. And I want you to understand there's some amazing things happening. Elijah and Moses out of the Old Testament. I mean, they're here communicating with Jesus, talking to him about the cross. Lots of things in there, but in some ways it's a communication of everything in the Old Testament. For a Jewish mind, they would have understood this as Moses kind of representing the the law and, and Elijah representing the prophets, which is their way of communicating the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures. That's the law and the prophets. And, and they're speaking to Jesus, talking about the cross. There's some amazing realities, both of Jesus being seen, of even how it, it begins with him entering into it in prayer. But I want to leave those for you. And I just want to talk about this moment as it applies into your life. Because there's something happening here that, although you're probably not going to have an exact experience like this, although there isn't a place that we all necessarily have a moment where we go up on a mountain and Jesus is transfigured before us, there is something here that is appropriate and applicable into our lives, especially if we want to follow and serve Him. And that is God gives us these moments of time that again, well, to almost just use the phrase because it is, it is a mountaintop moment. It's a moment where it's just a glorious kind of a moment, a moment where God's glory, His kingdom is being known. It's a moment where Jesus is seen. It's a moment where both they see Him and in that sense that they're going to hear at the end of it, hey, this is my son, listen to him. It's a moment where there's clarity, where, there, where there's things that are happening. But one of the keys I just want you to understand is it's meant to be strengthening. Now, to the extent that, that we serve God and to the extent that you would walk and say, God, I want to be a part of what you do in my life, I'm just going to tell you, he will bring you into such moments. Moments where they're just, where, where things are clear for a moment, where you just find yourself drawn to Christ in some incredible way, seeing both who he is and, and being strengthened. I love the way it gives it to us in Psalm 84, where it simply tells us that we go from strength to strength, and each one appears before God in Zion that he pictures this journey that we're on, and we go from, well, literally places of strengthening to strengthening, places where God just builds us up, where all of a sudden there is this like just breathing life into us, and those are amazing moments. 
I think there's something about understanding this in the midst of the context of this chapter to expect those things. There are moments, there are times where God, if you'll serve Him, I mean, in one sense, the more that you'll serve Him, the more you get these kind of moments. I mean, Peter, James, and John, they're the ones who are invited up to this, and they're the ones who've been so much a part of that. And the more you do that, there are places that happens, and there's something wonderful about it, and even needed. I mean, of just recognizing, thank you, Lord, for those moments. Places where you can look back and lock into those. But maybe one of the key things to remember about those moments is how limited they are. That in one sense, they just don't last. That's part of the whole context, right? I mean, there they are, Peter's there, they were, they'd actually kind of fallen asleep and tells us again in verse 32, they become fully awake and they see Jesus in his glory and they see Elijah and Moses. Verse 33, then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, we really like it here. <laughs> it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Luke kind of adds this for us, not knowing what he said. I mean, just kind of like totally off his cuff, just randomly saying it, not necessarily the wisest thing he said. And what says, while he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying to him, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things that they had seen. Again, I just, for me, it's just so appropriate to hear this because, I mean, Peter's like, we like it here. Can we stay here? This is a really good moment. And the answer, in essence, is no. I mean, I mean just that's not the way this works. It wasn't for that. All of a sudden, it's gone. Uh, the, Moses and Elijah are gone. The, the cloud is gone. The glory is gone. And they begin to make their way da- up down the mountain. I wanted to give this to you because I think there's something helpful to see in this. I mean, maybe you already know this, but mountaintop moments that God brings us into are beautiful and good moments, but they are not the reality that we get to stay in. Now, for most of us, we're like, can we stay there? Like, God, this is an amazing moment. Can I stay here for like the rest of my life? I mean, have I moved into some new spiritual plane that this is going to be great? And then it's gone. And I know I've talked to some Christians who are like, did I do something wrong? I mean, did I, why did it go away? I had this great, you know, kind of just these moments, and it was just God was so close to me, and then all of a sudden it was gone. I mean, what happened? I mean, how did that happen? Well, there's something about understanding. That's kind of the point. They are moments of strengthening. They are moments where all that happens, and you walk away from them, and you no longer live in that moment, but you can be changed by them. Peter certainly was. He will talk about this in his letter in 2 Peter. He'll, he'll talk about this being one of the moments that just locked down the authority of what God had been doing in his life. Like he would never forget the reality of this moment. And there's something about just expecting that. It's helpful to me. It's helpful to me. I mean, God does this in my life. There are moments that just, they're good. But I've kind of come to, when, when they're happening, it's like, okay, I'm just going to enjoy this for as long as it's here, I know it's not going to last. <laughs> I know that's not the way life is. I'm gonna, that's not the, the, the journey that I'm on. I don't have any expectation that it will be different, but I do enjoy them. I enjoy those moments of strengthening. And there's something about those mountaintop moments, and it's certainly a part of our journey. It's certainly meant to be a part of our journey, and especially and more so as you serve Him. But if you will catch that, then you need to catch the next thing, because for me personally, it goes just hand in hand. With every mountaintop moment, there's almost always a demoniac waiting at the bottom of the hill. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Tells us there in verse 37, now it happened on the next day when they'd come down from the mountain that a great multitude met him. Suddenly a man from the multitude cried out saying, teacher, 
I implore you, look on my son, for he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, and it convulses him, and he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. They come down from this incredible experience of seeing Jesus in his glory, and they immediately find something that is not glorious. I mean, this is demonic. This is someone, a, a child who's being demonically just oppressed and, and, and possessed, and, it, and it's destructive, and it's painful. But again, it's for me just helpful to kind of note what it says there. It says, you know, when they'd come down, like you come down the mountain, and that's what's there. And they find themselves facing a situation that's not only just hard, it's something they can't handle. The disciples couldn't do it. I mean, they, they'd tell them, hey, we came to your disciples, asked them to fix this, and they couldn't. So practically, here's what I want you to understand. Mountaintop moments are wonderful moments. But if God brings you into a mountaintop moment, it also becomes equally helpful to expect the backlash of our enemy. And I'm just going to say it from my own personal life, this is so real. I mean, I'll talk to people about it. Sometimes when we're away on a retreat or something, it's like, hey, just wait. I mean, just, I mean if it's a good moment, then just you should expect it because it it's almost always there for me. I mean, and so I'm kind of in the place where if I get one of those times where God is just doing something really special and I just sense his presence and it's like really good, it's great, and I know it's not going to last, but then I'm almost expecting it. Okay, so what's coming next? Because I know. I know how my enemy works, and it's almost always there something that's overwhelming, something that is almost something that can't be handled. And for me, it's just almost like I can look at it and say, I was expecting you. <laughs> I like knew that was coming. There's no surprise to me that it would be there. I mean, it wasn't always that way. There were some times where I was like, I can't believe this. How, how could I come out of this moment and then find myself in this mess that I can't handle? I mean, it's like, but, but that's part of the journey. And, and this part of what's happening in this moment is both to see Satan seeking to rob what God had done in this. But there's also lessons happening in the midst of it. Jesus communicates to him, and he says in verse 41, he answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was still coming, the demon threw himself down and convulsed him, and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to the Father. So thankfully, Jesus can deal with what they can't deal with. That's a good news. But it's also this place where he just rebukes them. And it's always one of these questions. Bible students actually ask, because he doesn't say who he's talking to. You faithless generation. That has to be, in one sense, just multi-applicational. It's certainly applying to the Father. We know that. Because in the other Gospels, this is that place where, you know, Jesus talks to him about faith, about believing. He says, if, if you believe, anything is possible. And in Mark's Gospel, you have that incredible just response where he says, you know, I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. It's like, I do believe. I just but I also struggle. It's a great response. But there also seems to be some moments where he's teaching the disciples, and that's got to be part of the thing that partly what's happening is this place where he's just calling them to, to have these faith, just building to, to trust him. And, and it's been out of that, again, for me, just very helpfully, that as mountaintop moments are a part of my journey, and these moments come, I know this, that's what I'm going to need to do. I'm going to need to trust him. I'm going to need to believe. I'm just going to have to hold on to him and stuff I can't understand, and it's incredibly helpful, and it just works that way in such real ways. This place is of just learning that, and it's certainly things that God's doing, and it's certainly part of the lesson that he's working in this moment. So lots of stuff there, really good, but helpful to understand that we're looking at something that was both here but present in our lives. 
Well, right at this moment, he brings them into a place where, again, explaining where they are. It says in verse 43, they were all amazed and marveled at the majesty of God, which is good. But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, he said to his disciples, let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. It was hidden from them, so they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So right in this moment, we have this place where he calls them to see afresh the cross. Now, interesting enough, that's been a big part of this. I mean, in this whole explanation in Luke 9, he'd already done this, right? Go back to verse 22. We read it a little bit earlier. He says, you know, he's, he's talking to the disciples about things that they happen. They just confess who Jesus is. And he says in verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and raised the third day. And so it's just, right, he says, guys, just, you just need to understand where we're going, you need to understand what's happening. And, and so right here is the same moment where they're just kind of marveling at everything that Jesus is doing. And I just, I, I love the way he says it in verse 44. Let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. He says, you just need to let this soak. You need to let this sink down. Like This is the journey we're on. This is where we're going. It's true for Jesus. I mean, he's heading towards the cross, and there's no sense that the things they're going is going to be anything but that. certainly helpful to see Jesus moving towards that. In fact, the Bible would tell us that that's part of the, the things that we're supposed to see. Nevertheless, there's also a part of it for us applicationally to understand, hey, part of the whole part of this is to keep our eyes on the cross, to keep our eyes centered into that moment that, that we're reminding again to, of who he is. I mean, certainly this is a part of our journey as our Christian lives. It's part of why we take communion. It's one of the things that we do through communion is to constantly focus on, hey, Jesus came, he gave himself for us, that centers everything, that, that lays out everything. But it invites us into it, to, to allow that just to, to, to let it sink in and soak and draw us to that place where we're constantly aware of that, both from his perspective, but once more into that place of, hey, we're going to have to take up our cross. We're following in the same journey. We're on this same road, and, and this is the world we live in. It's something that is just constantly there, and it's always a part of it. It's always a part of that, and even this evening, just to tell you, maybe that's for you. <laughs> maybe it's like, you just need to let this sink in. This world is not our home. This world is, is, is desperately against Christ, was then, is now. It's not going to get better. We're not going to fix the world. We, you know, we, we're here to see Jesus save people, and it's about his, what he definitely did in the midst of that, and it's so helpful. Just allow that to sink in and just like, okay, in the midst of everything else, the cross becomes the center of all that I am and the center of all that I'm doing, and that's a key in our lives, but it's certainly a key in serving. So he's teaching. He's teaching them how to do this. Keeping us there is certainly a big part of the whole thing. But right out of this, crazy enough, the disciples enter into one of the discussions that they do every now and then. Verse 46, then a dispute arose among them to, of which of them would be the greatest. Hey, pause and just want to tell you, if you don't know it very well, this, they do this all the time. I mean, they're going to do this till, till like right up into the, the upper room before Jesus goes to the cross. They have these debates about which one of them is better and which one's more important. And 
In the midst of this, Jesus is going to call us to humility. He's going to call us to making that a focus of who we are and where we are. And there's something important about this, because as we think about what's happening here, these disciples competing for greatness, it could be a little bit disappointing. It could be a little bit like, I can't believe they're doing this. I mean, they just had this amazing transfiguration moment with Jesus. They saw him, you know, deal with the demoniac. He's just told him about the cross again. And then they're arguing, like, he likes me better than you. <laughs> like, I'm more important than you. And, I, I, I'm, and just there's this crazy thing. But please understand, that's the way our world works. I mean, that's, that's really what runs so much of our world, whether it be athletics or whether it be business. For so many people, it's always a competition. It's always who's better to kind of climb the ladder to be more important, to, to press yourself forward. But the reality for us that Jesus is teaching here, and he teaches it many times, to the disciples is that's just not the way it's supposed to happen, that he's looking for something different. So he uses a great object lesson here. He uses a child. Tells us in verse 47, and Jesus perceiving the thought of their heart took a child and set, set him by him and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be great. Bunch of lessons in that. No time to fully unpack, but it's this amazing reality. He says, you know what? This isn't about you being great. It's, it's the idea of a child, that even this child, that in the simplicity of who he is, if he's mine, he'll be received. And, and in many ways, it shows what true spiritual greatness is. If you're a parent of a young child right now, maybe you'll understand it better. Or maybe some of you will remember what that's like Children aren't partners in managing life. I mean, sometimes they like to act like it, right? I mean, I can remember times when, you know, my kids as a young kid is like, we cleaned the yard together. What it really meant is I did all the work plus some because their help was not overly helpful, but that's not the way they would play it. Dad and I, we, we did the, we dug this trench, you know, this is great trench. It's like, you did like that, you know, and like, in fact, you kept knocking the dirt back into the hole and I'd had to dig it out again. You weren't, you weren't actually much help at all. You're, you, you're in this place where your whole life is, is you benefit from me. I provide your food. I provide your, I provide everything for you. Everything you are is, is a gift from me. And that's somehow what greatness looks like, that we're moving to a place not of independence and greatness, but into a place of, you know, I, I, he's, I'm just a child. I mean, I'm in a, that, that real spiritual greatness, it's on a different trajectory. That's helpful to understand, but I'm just going to tell you, it's hard to do. And it would seem to be a really big deal because, again, this is a lesson that Jesus teaches multiple times that will go all the way again to the night before he goes to the cross so I just know this, that, you know, that that's problems for us. Now, maybe you're here tonight and you're like, it's not really a problem for me. And that's great if you're really humble, but it might not be a problem for you if I can say this in the nicest way, because you're not serving, because you're not, you're not, you're just kind of, just kind of coasting in your Christian life. And that's not what you're made for. But the moment you start serving, the moment you start saying, God, I want to serve you. I want to be a part of your kingdom. I want to see people saved. Or I want to, all of a sudden, sometimes we begin to just pull in these worldly ways of doing things. And, it, it, and that's exactly what Jesus is dealing with here. Like, that's not what we're after. This isn't what greatness looks like in my kingdom. We're going a different direction. A direction that is marked by humility. The humility of a, of a child would become, in so many ways, our journey.
Well, it's right out of that, that the lesson just continues, and it's a little bit of the same, the arrogance, the pride that's a part of this. John is speaking to him, and so John answers him. Verse 49 says, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him. We told him, stop, because he does not follow us. But Jesus said to him, do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Jesus deals with, and he lets us know that we're needing to avoid, and I'm using a big word, sectarianism. I mean, maybe you just kind of recognize it. I just couldn't think of a better word. I could talk about spiritual cliquishness or something else, but really this becomes a part of it, a place where he's calling us away from it. And again, you just got to imagine it, because here's John. He's like, you know, we saw somebody. He wasn't, on, he wasn't with us, and we told him, you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, he's not, he's not a part of our company. He's not a part of our group though he's actually casting out demons in Jesus' name. And Jesus tells him, hey, don't do that. <laughs> you know, you know, you, they tell him, hey, you know, don't, you know, he says, don't stand against that. He says, don't forbid him. Don't be one who, who gets in front of that because if, we, if we're serving Christ, we're in that sense on the same team. Now, again, you might know this, but this is big. This is huge. This is something that's been a part of the Christian church Way back, we find it in the book of Corinthians where Paul talks about how it was permeating the church then. It's still a big problem today. That people tend to, if they serve, begin to become very loyal, sometimes to where God is working in their lives in a way that they not so much where he's working in others. And you guys understand what I'm saying, but I'm just going to try to say it quickly. We're not the only church in town. We're not the only Christian church. We're not talking about cults. We're not talking about false teaching. We stand against that. The Bible's really clear. If you're reading with us in Peter today, you read about that. We read about te- false teaching. We'd not, we're not embracing that. That's not a part of it. But outside of that, there's just a whole bunch of churches, and we're not actually in competition with the other churches in town. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're so glad that we're on the same team, serving the same Savior, seeking to do the same things. And there, there needs to be this place where we don't become, you know, well, you know, our church is the best church, and our church is the real church. And if you don't do it our way, it's not really the right way. And so we're going to tell you, you just shouldn't even be doing it if you're not going to do it the way that we do it. That's so much a part of, of sometimes arguments that happen in the body of Christ, but especially when we begin serving, where we really like what God's doing, where we're doing it. And instead of saying, hey, you know what? Other people are doing it differently. They're not doing it with us, but I'm just so glad. I'm so glad they're on the kingdom of God. Let's, let's win this win as many people in Christ as we can. And I'm glad we're not, we're not in competition with First Baptist Church or Grace Community or Christ Church. I mean, we're on the same team. You know, it's like, hey, so we're, we're fine with that. We're glad other people are serving in other capacities. And, and he just tells them to stop. You know, don't, don't forbid that. Don't stand against that. We're, if, if we're both serving Christ, we're serving on the same side. Big deal. I mean, in many ways that calls us to it. Paul would deal with this greatly in 1 Corinthians. And if that's something that you're needing to work through, that's a great place to go to because it's not meant to be a part of who we are. It's not meant to be the way that you and I serve, that keys into serving him would be like that. So again, we're kind of following this. There's these places where God strengthens us, followed by demoniacs, and yet keeping it on Christ. And then there's ways that we're learning. Okay, humble, you know, and and not being kind of sectarian, not being like, hey, our church is the only church. That's always a bad moment that moves us. But right from that, they move from this place of resisting other people that serve to dealing with people that reject. It's a great story, so read it with me in verse 51. Now it came to pass 
when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Hey, that's good. He's, he's focused on the cross, not moving from it. And he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, and they went to another village. He's calling us to have his heart, to have his heart specifically for the world, and, and very specifically at this moment for those who are not responding well. That's what's happening. I mean, they, they send out these, these disciples to prepare the way. They get to the village of the Samaritans, and these are already problematic racial issues within the Jewish culture. Samaritans and Jews had no dealings with each other. There's already problems there, but they don't receive him. Now, the interesting thing is there really was sovereignty to this. Jesus has got his face set to go to Jerusalem, and so it tells us, you know, they didn't receive him because his face was set to go there, which is a fascinating thing. Nevertheless, they rebuff the disciples. They, they rebuff the, them turning away. They, they say, hey, we don't want to do this. You know, we don't want to be a part of that. We're not interested. And the disciples, uh, specifically James and John, they, they have this crazy idea. It's like, Lord, you know what? Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them as, as Elijah did? Do you want us to deal with it? Do you want us to deal with these people who I'm just going to call rejectors? And you want us to, to make this happen and this desire to burn them up? Now, here's the simple deal. Not all of you are this way. And so some of you have no idea. what like, I can't even believe they would say that. And, and you know what? That's great. If that's you, then just tune out for a moment. It's not really probably maybe. But for some of you, this is going to be a really a, just an important moment because sometimes some of that's how we respond. When we look at a world that's rejecting Jesus and rejecting his ways, sometimes we're like, could I just call down fire? It's like, you know, just like, like right now, you know, and you're, I mean, some of you guys are, you, you watch things happening even in politics, and you're like, I just, can I just, right now, boom, like, I just want to destroy them. If I could make, you know, just, wow, if I, I wish I had that kind of just, you know, I'm just telling you, there's something in this moment where you just desire that, where you're like, just frustrated, and you almost feel like it sometimes, like God would be on your side. And they take this Old Testament account of Elijah when uh, the, the, the soldiers are coming to capture him. Some of you know the story, and they send like 50 soldiers to capture him, and, and Elijah does. I mean, prophetically, they, the fire comes, destroys the soldiers. Incredible story of God protecting Elijah. But this isn't that. This is the disciples just being angry. This is the disciples just wanting that. And if that's something that you're dealing with now or will deal with, you just need to hear this when Jesus just says, that's not me. He says, you don't know. You don't know what manner of spirit you are. You don't, that, that what's happening in your heart right now, that's not me. That what, what you're feeling right now, that's not how I'm feeling. Uh, and so you just need to recognize that that's not me. That's not the way God, God is responding to this. And Jesus says you need to understand where he came. He says the Son of Man, speaking of himself in verse 56, did not come to destroy the lives of men but to save them. And he went to another village. In Mark's gospel, it tells us that he came to seek and save that which was lost. Like he said, this is my journey. This is, I'm, I've come into this world to seek and save. I haven't come to destroy. And there's something important about this to, to, to just recognize the need that we want to have his heart in this, that we want to have his heart in dealing with a world that is rejecting him. 
dealing with people that are not responding well to Christ. And, and just in that sense to say, okay, that's, this is what we want. I mean, this is the heart of Christ. This is who He is. Jesus says, this is who I am. And maybe, again, it's just an invitation. And it would begin by just you recognizing that God's not agreeing with you. I mean, if you're in that place, and even right now, you're like, no, I think he is. I think he is. I think he, God and I, we, are, we want to destroy everybody. Like, we're just, we are so mad about what's happening. And I just going to tell you, that's not, that's not him. It's not where he, he does see the world. He is going to judge the world. But it's, but it's because, but he, his heart is to save as many as he can. He says, I came into this world to, to save people. And that's how you should be seeing this. You should be gazing into this whole place where you're looking at it and thinking, okay, you know, so they reject it. But I, I, God is still seeking to save those. He's come to seek and save. He's come to, to rescue those. And so sometimes when that becomes a place, it's just even to recognize the need of it. And again, I'm just going to be a little bit honest and tell you, hey, I am one of the ones that every now and then I'm like, okay, God, let's just let's toast them. Like, let's just, can we just like right now, can we just like open up the ground and everything, they just fall into it. I think it'd be a great idea. And I just have to recognize, okay, God, that's not you. And I just know that sometimes. Like, okay, God, would you help my heart move towards where your heart is? And it's just helpful for me to do that. It's just helpful for me to pause when I'm in that space, especially when I'm frustrated with something or especially people being resistant to Christ or mocking him or however that works. And then say, God, I want to have your heart. I want, I want to do this. And so Jesus is just saying, hey, you just need to recognize who I am in this whole place so that that becomes a part that works into your life moving you down that same journey, moving you down that place, because that's certainly what we are meant to do if we're going to say, God, I want to serve with you. I, I want to follow your marching orders. I want to follow you into spiritual battle, as it was, to seek to rescue people. Then this is the way I need to come at it. There are keys in this for us. Okay, so one more for us tonight. Watching all these things happen, he's telling us, hey, these are things that would be a part of God working into your life. And I hope as we're walking through this, for some of you, there's some recognition where you're like, okay, yeah, that's stuff he does in me. I've seen him do that. Yep, those are lessons that he is trying to teach me and been working on because I'm just telling you this is a part of it. These are the things that he does. And he comes to this last one that I'm going to say is really the need to overcome excuses. Let's just kind of notice it and then we'll talk about what's happening. It says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell to all who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So he gives us these three encounters, and there's, there's some interesting things, and it would take probably a long time for us to kind of give all the background into the cultural things and, and things that are part of this, but I think you can kind of feel it. Every one of these kind of falls into the same category. They're the kind of people that say they want to follow, but there's kind of an excuse. There's the first that says, you know, Lord, I want to follow you. And Jesus just, he penetrates right into it. He says, well, you sure you want to follow me? <laughs> because foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. This, this is not necessarily an easy journey. And there are some that's like, well, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you if it's not hard. You know, it's like, if that's not too hard, I'm in. And, and Jesus deals with that. 
Others would come into this place where they say, you know, let the dead, you know, let me first go and bury my father in verse 59. And Jesus gives this incredible response. It says, let the dead bury their own dead. Please kind of catch this. This isn't a morbid thing. It's not like his father just died and he's not letting the person go to the funeral. I mean, that would be not the heart of God. Now, the, 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 the cultural way this works is in one sense, what he's saying is, Lord, I'll do it after. Let me go and take care of my dad, take care of my family. And when they, when they die and I get the inheritance, then I'll serve, like later. I mean, we just got to go take care of these other things. And it's this place of saying, God, I'll, I'd be glad to serve once I get these other things taken care of, uh, whatever that is. It's a very common thing. It's a very common thing where people are like, you know, Lord, I'd, I'd be glad to serve, but, you know, as soon as the kids get big, you know, Lord, as soon as, you know, as soon as I, you know, I get that promotion, Lord, as soon as, you know, I retire. I mean, there's always this space of like, I'll serve you, but just not yet. And Jesus just says, no, like, that's, that's de- you're choosing a, a lifestyle of death. You know, you need to be involved in the kingdom of God now. And then there's this other one that comes and says, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell to those who are in my house. And Jesus' response, it says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And it has the idea that he's kind of asking, like, Lord, I, I, I'll follow, but I want to go back and talk to everybody else first, kind of give some, some you know, this place. And, and the idea is I want to get other opinions. And Jesus is like, hey, if you're going to like follow me and then you're going to listen to others, it's kind of, you're, you're, you can't really live your life in this place where you're following two leaders, where you're saying, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to get everybody else's opinions first, and it becomes problematic. It becomes this place that hinders. Now, each of these stories are profound, and each one could be applied in dozens of ways in our life, but let's just kind of take the overview, because what I'm wanting you to understand is, again, it is this place of excuses, and excuses are dangerous. Excuses are dangerous because Sometimes they just don't feel like we're actually being disobedient. It doesn't, you know, because we're not saying no. We're not saying, God, I'm not interested. No, I don't want to serve. No, I don't want to be a part of your kingdom. We're just saying, you know, Lord, well, you know, if it's not too hard, you know, if it's like, not going to cost me too much. We're just saying, you know, but I, I don't mind serving you, but just later, you know, mañana, you know, we'll get around to it. You know, some of the places, you know, Lord, just once I kind of make sure that I'm, everybody's on board with this, and, and these kinds of excuses, they're dangerous in part because they still keep us from obeying. You know, you know the, the age-old saying, you know, that the, the, the path to, to, to hell is paved with good intentions of people saying, well, you know, I really had a you know, thought about it, I really was intending. But the scary part is because you allow the excuse to be there, it hinders us from obedience, and so Jesus just calls us away from it. He calls us into this places of serving where he says, hey, that's not, those aren't valid reasons to, to stay out of this place of being a part of what God has. I don't know where you are in this, and again, I want to just be kind, and I want to be gracious, but I also want to be clear. You know, our lives are here for a purpose. We really are. And, and, and you're not a spectator. You're meant to be a part of it. And maybe you don't believe that, but I'm telling you it's true. Maybe all these lessons are needed. But this one becomes one of the most, maybe one's serious, if I can say it that way. Because I know I'm just talking to somebody tonight that this is exactly where you are. You're not serving. I mean, there's just nothing you're doing for the kingdom of God right now. Your life is totally lived in, in the world. And, but somehow you tell yourself, you know, you know, 
later, you know, another time, or once it's a little bit easier for me to do it, once I can fit space into doing that, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get serious about, you know, trying to represent God in this world. But our time is short. I mean, how much time do you think we have left? I mean, this space where you could miss your life being a part of what God's doing, and, and there's this place of saying, no, what Jesus is communicating is our need to not allow those realities to keep us out of this place, out of this place where he's calling us, where we think about everything that's in here and everything that's rolling through chapter nine are these encouragements, these places of God saying, hey, these are keys for you to step towards this, for your life to be a part of what God is doing in his world. And yet there's an invitation to that. Say, I think about it again. I just wanna try to just press it for a moment. I think about what it tells us there in Ephesians, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I just want to tell you, this isn't a promise for five of us or a select number of us. It's meant for all of us. Your life is meant to be a part of something that's going to touch eternity that role would be different for you. It might be being a prayer warrior. It might be involved in, in, in reaching with kids. It might be who knows what it is. There's things that God would call you into, but the beautiful thing is he's actually doing it. He's actually creating these opportunities that your life could be a part of that. But the key in so many ways is to, is to allow God to prepare us for that, that we would be this workmanship, that we would say, okay, God, shape my life to make me who you want me to be so that I could be a part of those things. And I'm telling you, things like what we're reading up right about tonight are the very things that he seeks to do that would bring your life forward to say, hey, I could, I could work through that person. I, I could work them. He does that by giving mountaintop moments, but man, difficult moments often flow out of that, calling you to the cross and being centered into that. But this place of humility, this place of not being sectarian, because when you're outside of that, Sometimes you're in that place that God's like, I can't, you're not really prepared. I need to mold you so I can bring you into that. This place where you would have his heart for people and, and in the midst of all of it, just not be the person that's saying, you know, mañana, like later, I'll get to that one of these days, but saying, God, here I am. I mean, I, I want to be a part of what you're doing. So we're in different spaces with this this evening. I just recognize that. I am speaking to some of you who are serving Christ. That's been a part of your life. And for some of you, you could look on these lessons and go, yep, yep, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know, I've, God's working all those things in me. He's, he's doing those things. Praise God, keep letting him do it because he's not stopping. He's still molding your life and brought, drawing you to it. And if you're in the midst of these things, I hope you hear these things and allow Jesus to mold your life to be who he wants you to be. But if you're outside of it, I mean, still honestly in the place that we've talked about some things tonight and you're like, I don't even know anything that like mountaintop moments followed by demoniacs. I don't even know what you're talking about. You know, I just, I didn't even make, it's like, okay, well, then you're probably not somehow in the midst of the battle, but you can be. He wants you to be. And I don't know what's keeping you out of that, but I'm inviting you into it. And in some ways it is stuff that we talked about on Sunday, just being a Daniel saying, Lord, if you, if you give me an opportunity I'm in. Like, yes, like, I'll do it. You know, if you want me to talk to somebody, you want me to share the gospel with somebody, you create that space, go ahead of me to create a good work, then I want to do that. I want to be a part of something eternal. And I'm, I'm hoping that that would draw you and mold you into that. 
But as we close this evening, I also again just want to say, maybe you're outside of this because you're outside of Christ. I mean, honestly, in a space that we're talking about a bunch of things, I'm not even sure how that lands for you. But I do know this, this is one of the things that God can work in. I've shared it before, but I just got to be honest. This was one of the things that God was using in my life before I became a Christian to, to draw me to it. I'd bought into the worldly philosophy that ultimately said life is an accident, that, that everything we are is, is without purpose, and, and just that reality of believing that there's no point to my life, there's no, re, I'm just an accident, you know, there's no purpose for me. And, and ultimately that became just a, a place that was, was deadening, destroying, and probably would have been suicidal eventually. But one of the things that God began doing in me is like, no, life is more than that. You know, life is, what, what God is doing is more than that. And, it, you know, I just know that one of the things he was speaking into me was, was calling me into a life that mattered, into a life that was a part of eternity, was a part of things that were real. And just that reality just shattered so many of the lies. And so I don't know if that's you this evening. I don't know if you're in a space where, where you've somehow believed that your life is of no value and you're an accident. I just tell you, it's not true. And God's inviting you into a place that not only would be eternally significant for you, that would save you and draw you into eternity, but into a place that your life could be a part of something that's genuinely real and, and, and eternal. And I don't know if that speaks to you like it spoke to me in that moment, but if it is, we're calling you into a relationship with Christ. We're calling you out of the world and, and telling you he, he longs to bring you into that. And we'd love to be a part of that. We invite you to surrender your life to Christ and even reach out to us and allow us to be a part of that. So all of that before us, all of that asking, let's close Bibles if you haven't already done it, and let's ask him to meet us in that, that he would draw your life and my life into these things that he has for us. God, thank you for these lessons, these reminders of things that you were doing to shape the disciples, to be servants, to be a part of your kingdom, and, and yet I recognize there's lessons that you do in all of us who would seek to serve you. God, lives here in different places maybe are in one of these lessons and just calling us away from being judgmental or being sectarian or being prideful, maybe reminding us of those mountaintop moments that we're meant to sustain. God, you know. I pray that you'd help us to be there. I pray that you'd strengthen. I pray that you'd call us, that we'd recognize our lives are supposed to be a part of that which is eternal. And then we'd be in, and we'd be a part of that. I pray that for each child of God that's hearing my voice right now, that tonight would be a reminder that you're molding them and drawing them. But as we close, I do pray for those who don't know you, and I do cry out, Lord, that you would draw their lives out of emptiness, out of how you describe in your word as an aimless existence, that you draw them into a life of, of just reality, of, of eternity, of purpose, of that which is real and that which lasts forever. God, that you would draw them to you. And I pray that. I thank you, Jesus, that you are that. I think of what you said, that in this world you're seeking to save that which was lost. God, do that even now. We cry out for that and thank you that you are a faithful, faithful God. Mold us, shape us, draw us after this, we pray right now. And we ask for this together in Jesus' name. Amen.